This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. South Africa is a country that has been talked about greatly in recent years. Really, the world surrounding Nelson Mandela was usually the discussion. Yet South Africa could be back in the news again and not necessarily in a good way. Not for anything like apartheid, but for the government leadership that is looking for its own meal ticket. Jeff Herbst is president and CEO of the museum. He is also co-author of How South Africa Works and the soon-to-be-released Making Africa Work. Jeff joins us on the show right now. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Great to have you as well. Uh, how did this shift in philosophy or approach really get started? Well, I think there was a fundamental change in uh, economic policy and the underlying regulation of the economy when Jacob Zuma became president in 2008, although there were lots of challenges beforehand, some of them dealing with the inheritance of apartheid, which was terrible, uh, and some with uh, other economic policies. But economic management of the economy has deteriorated greatly since the current president took office. And so what is the status of President Zuma in office uh, and the reaction of the people living in South Africa right now towards him? Well, I mean, President Zuma is in office. Uh, he he has to have an election in 2019. Uh, there's a very consequential party Congress at the end of this year. Uh, market reaction against his most recent moves, which included firing a well-respected finance minister and a fair number of other cabinet officials, has been quite negative, and country's debt, at least the foreign debt, has been downgraded. Uh, there have been popular protests against the president uh, involving tens of thousands of people, uh, but in a country of 54 million, I would not say they're overly they're a threat to the government yet. Uh, We don't have good public opinion data on South Africa. Uh, Anecdotal evidence suggests the president's popularity is diminished, uh, but he still has a significant parliamentary majority in the parliament, which he shows evidence of keeping. Uh, then what are his, uh, do you think, his, are his possibilities uh, of actually be uh, retaining the presidency in, in two years' time? Uh, well, he won't retain the presidency okay. because of um, uh, he's term limited. Okay. Uh, but he has an enormous interest in his successor uh, because there is a significant sentiment in South Africa uh, that he could be prosecuted uh, for some of the economic malpractices while president, uh, something a new president would either greenlight or could prevent. Uh, so he has an enormous interest in what's going to happen next, as well as uh, very significant resources that he and his immediate allies have collected over recent years and what happens to those funds. And I saw something in one article involving his ex-wife, I believe, and potentially being the next president of South Africa? That is a possibility. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of internal wrangling within the ruling party, the African National Congress right now. Uh, But his uh, ex-wife, who was chairperson of the African Unity Union most recently and before that a minister, 
is certainly thought of to be a significant candidate, but not the only one. You recently wrote an article in the Washington Post uh, about this, and it talks about a Mugabe moment. What exactly is that? Well, in 1980, Robert Mugabe and his ZANU political party took over Zimbabwe. Uh, And while no analogy is perfect uh, and the countries are not the same, uh, since the mid-1990s, Zimbabwe has had one of the worst economic performances in the world, really, in a once uh, relatively prosperous African country has gone through hyperinflation and a significant economic decline. What we meant by the Mugabe moment was not that uh, Jacob Zuma would immediately follow the path of Robert Mugabe, which included seizing land, violating property rights, and the like, but rather that in racially divided countries, both Zimbabwe and South Africa, it's often hard to make arguments for good governance, which inevitably mean fostering the private sector, because in both countries, and certainly South Africa today, whites continue to dominate yeah. the private sector as uh, one of the consequences of the inheritance from apartheid. And so what is the status of that type of relationship between whites and blacks in South Africa right now? I think a lot of people would uh, believe that uh, obviously having uh, President Mandela in office for so long, that, that a lot of things had changed. Well, I mean... Nelson Mandela was president for five years, from 94 to 1999, and I think he did a wonderful job of reconciling, not so that people joined together and sang Kumbaya, uh, but so that the constitutional order of South Africa would not be challenged by, let's say, white resistance movements or a white um, motivated coup d'etat from the military, both of which were discussed as significant possibilities before the transition. Um, But there really was not a reckoning, uh, and there has not been till now in South Africa, that the ANC's consequential promises before the transition, that there would be mass transformation of the economy, uh, and that if you like this vocabulary, the means of production right. uh, and ownership would be transferred to the African population. That did not happen. It didn't happen for lots of good reasons, right. but it didn't happen. And the ANC has never really uh, reconciled to that effect. And what we're seeing now 20 years later, more than 20 years since the transition, is that South Africa is still dealing with the fact that while the ANC has clear political control, economic control uh is still divided and still very much with the white population. But increasingly, uh, South African politics should not be understood as white-black conflict. I mean, the major victims of Zumo's policies are poor Africans. Uh, And it is uh, increasingly the politics of the majority that are, are really of the of the utmost consequence. And, and as South Africa stands here today, how much of a voice do the do the lower income uh, people in sa- living in South Africa actually have right now? Well, I would say that unemployment has increased and that uh, they have the unemployed in South Africa have very little voice. The trade unions were enormously consequential to the ANC's electoral victories starting in 1994. And Workers, um, those in formal employment who are covered by the trade unions, have done relatively well because of uh, very high minimum wages and labor regulations, uh, which make it very difficult for employers to fire anyone. The consequence of that is that those who are not in the formal 
uh, labor market, those without jobs have uh, have suffered because it's not an economy that's producing many jobs at all. In fact, the research that my colleague Greg Mills and I found when we went to South Africa and talked to hundreds of employers on the mines, on the farms, in hotels, is that uh, most employers were doing everything possible not to hire people uh, because they just thought uh, it was economically too difficult. So the people without jobs, uh, the increasing unemployed, and especially the increasingly unemployed African youth, uh, don't have much voice. We are joined uh, on the phone by Jeff Herbst, who is the president and CEO of the museum. He's also co-author of How South Africa Works and the soon-to-be-released Making Africa Work. This is Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney with you here in Philadelphia. Jeff Herbst on the phone with us, uh, joining us uh, from his offices. Uh, I want to go back to the to the firing of, of the people in the cabinet for a second, because I mean it's one thing when you relieve one person of their duties. But this seemingly was a a calculated move by President Zuma to remove several people uh, and and really maybe people that were uh, seeing the type of approach that that Zuma was taking and to a degree trying to financially look out for himself and really were starting to to wonder if, if Zuma was the right person, correct? That's correct. I mean, uh, especially the finance minister was seen as the bulk work against corruption, against a series of government moves, uh, which might have enriched uh, Zuma and his uh, allies, but which didn't make sense for the country, including the purchase of a significant number of Russian nuclear power plants. I think the move against so many people was just another indication that Jacob Zuma, whatever his economic malpractice, is a brilliant political tactician, uh, which is he knew that the markets were going to be upset and a fair number of people were going to be upset uh, by the firing of the finance minister. So why not just do the entire house cleaning at once? Right. Because you weren't going to get people any more annoyed if you got rid of a lot of other people. Uh, I think he struck... uh, while it wasn't a complete surprise, he struck quickly, had his opponents off balance. And what's happened since the ratings downgrade, popular protests in the tens of thousands, but not overwhelming, uh, some discontent within the party, was all predictable and probably from his perspective on the low side of oppositional activity. Uh, one of the things we've learned over the last uh, eight years of Zuma's presidency, is to never underestimate him as a tactician. Now joining us as well on the phone is uh, Professor Murray Liebrand, who is in the School of Economics at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. He's also director of the uh, Southern Africa Labor and Development Research Unit. Murray, great to have you on the show with us today. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, obviously, we, with you being there, we get your opinion firsthand on what the status of the economy is in South Africa and the status of President Zuma in that country right now. Yes, well, the the uh, economy is is not in not in good shape. Um, it it wasn't in good shape anyway, uh, even before the the recent events. Um, but under uh, the Minister of Finance, the previous Minister of Finance, Praveen Goran, it had sort of dug in and was uh, was consolidating a little bit in, in quite an impressive way. 
uh, in, in the sense of of government talking to to business and uh, and resuscitating some of the communication that we'd had much more of in the 1990s about uh, making things work collectively. Um, and and the minister of finance was was trying to make not necessarily business friendly in a naive uh, way, but um, uh, certainly friendly noises in the sense that that they were on a joint mission uh, in, in uh, keep the economy stable, keep in, inflation under control, uh, and then then try and collectively handle the employment issue that is at the core of of South Africa's broader socioeconomic uh, transformation. Um, uh, but, yeah, and, and so it was, we were in for the long haul, if you like. That's what I'm trying to characterize here e- economically. We were barely growing, growing at yeah. somewhere close to just under 1%. Um, but many countries in the world are battling at, you know, at the same time. And I think we, we had a sense just before the minister got fired, that that maybe we were winning the war with the ratings agencies, well, winning them in the sense that we had a credible path right. that we were plotting. Well, uh, anyway, that that all got chatted. Let me let me ask you about the the firing of the finance minister and the other members of the cabinet. Uh, I would imagine, as I just mentioned with Jeff, uh, it's one thing when you fire one person. It's kind of another thing when several people are fired within uh, a president's cabinet. Uh, what was the reaction? I would think across South Africa, to a degree, it was probably surprised to see that many people go in kind of a, a one clean swath. But as Jeff mentioned, if you're going to get rid of him, you might as well get rid of them all in one shot. Yes, uh, th- that's right. I mean, obviously, the financial markets and the the economy had keyed off the finance minister in particular, because he had he was driving the the particular agenda in in the government around um, getting well functioning state owned enterprises holding the line on. Uh, abuse of government money, um, you know, enabling government to play its part in this sort of compact that that they were trying to craft with with the private sector. Um, so so the tension was devoted a lot to the finance minister and the, the reshuffle. As Jeff was saying, the reshuffle is a was a tactical move because not everybody it's not as though everybody in the reshuffle belonged to Praveen Goran's camp in any clear sense right um in fact many of the people who'd who'd been most supportive of of the type of momentum that he was bringing into the government uh, a number of them have survived so there are a number of members of the cabinet who are from the South African Communist Party you know given our the history of South Africa and the tripartite alliance there is always this sort of divvying up of, well, who are the Kasatu ministers and who are the South African Communist Party ministers, etc. cetera. Uh, now, the SACP ministers have all stayed. They weren't axed, but, but they'd been working very much with, um, with Praveen Goran in the, yeah. uh, in the state. Um, so it's, it's a, there were political things. Uh, as Jeff was saying, it was uh, sort of masterful in a way, in a... In a in a dark humor sort of way, um, <laughs> as to exactly what he did, 
and 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 subtle and complicated and, and not clearly understood as being okay uh, a clear firing across the bows of the Zuma of the Pravin Goran camp. Let me ask you this. Uh, should, no. uh, let me ask you this, Murray. Um, if are there pieces to the South African economy right now that are showing promise, even with the overall slow growth, that, as you mentioned, in the country right now? Yes, there are. There are a few. Most of them are in the uh, in the financial services, not just financial services, services in general uh, sector. Um, because obviously, you know, the South African economy is is still is is well endowed with with skills uh, and and with uh, with muscle in the African context. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then there is you know even even minerals were picking up were beginning to pick up minerals have been particularly hard hit historically the South African economy grew off the back of of mining um, and the mining and minerals have been in the doldrums and the and the world prices of of these commodities had been very low and they turned around a little bit recently um, but there were there were pockets of the South African economy they just weren't very employment creating pockets. That we're doing okay, um, and uh, and there was a sense, you know, the South African economy is a funny one. It, it looks a little bit like a little bit like the U.S. in the sense that the restructuring has been the, the sort of skills twist that you've seen in the U.S. with with unskilled workers uh, finding the demand for their labour plummeting quite quite severely, but more skilled workers. Finding a, a, a quite a robust demand for their their skills, that that's a bit what South Africa looks like, which is very problematic in our context, of course, with our our massive supply of of unskilled labour, um, and that was the problem. So it's not as though there was no pockets of the economy that were flourishing. It's just that it was far too thin, and we were still looking for for a much more general momentum back into the economy. We are joined uh, on the phone by Murray Liebrand, who is a professor in the School of Economics at the University of Cape Town. Jeff Herbst, who is the president and CEO of the Museum. Uh, this is Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. It is interesting, Jeff, though, that and there were various articles about this uh, yesterday, about the, the protesting that's going on in South Africa. Uh, I guess there was one yesterday or the day before uh, to Pretoria for 30,000 people that were coming there to to protest to President Zuma right now. I mean, I mean, protesting is one thing, but really getting change done, that's a that's a little bit of a different element as well. Right. I mean, 30,000 people is a significant number of people, but in the South African context and compared to the crowds that you sometimes saw that the, in the terminal apartheid period, not that much. Right. Uh, the trade unions, which were none too happy with... Uh, uh, President Zuma nonetheless did not appear to call their people into the streets. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the, um, some of the protests um, uh, could be certainly confused with some of the opposition politics. So, I mean, this was all, if you're from President Zuma's perspective, to be expected. I mean, when he did this, he knew it was going to be greeted with some level of outcry. I think what he got was probably at the low end of what might have been expected. But the real politics is within the ANC uh, itself, within the party leadership, and also to some degree within parliament. Uh, 
I think the indications are uh, that it's too early for any of the likely presidential candidates in 2019 to really show themselves and go against Zuma, Uh uh, that it just doesn't make sense too early on now, still two years out from the election. Uh, So I think what their calculus is probably to wait, uh, wait for Zuma to get through 2017, very important party Congress at the end of the year when they'll name a new party leader. And then if uh, history is any guide, uh, sometime in 2018, the agency may look to uh, replace Zuma uh, to provide either an interim leader or someone to go into the 2019 elections. But uh, I think between his tactics and the personal calculations of those who might want to succeed him, he'll probably continue in power. But it's going to be a rocky road. Murray, do you agree with that, that that could be a way, a plan laid out in terms of the next candidates that could be president in South Africa? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's uh, that's spot on. Um, because, you know, initially, the initial reaction, uh, Jeff mentioned the fact that the unions didn't join the march um, yesterday, uh, officially, even though initially, when uh, when when the president first reshuffled the cabinet, the Kosatu, the major union grouping, did come out against um, what had been done, and as did the South African Communist Party. Uh, and, the, and the initial response was, well, both with the protests, but uh, more generally within the ANC, that maybe this would be the moment in which, for example, the, the, um, the deputy president, Cyril Ramaphosa, might stand up and say, no, no, we can't have this, and actually make an overt play. But he didn't. I mean, the the calculus, it just seems that within the ANC right now, that would be suicide in a sense. Um, It seems that way for any individual, because even ones that made quite strident noises against the president sort of backed down. um, And by yesterday's protest, it was very clearly the opposition parties you know, quite substantial, but nonetheless, this was the opposition parties. For this thing to have real legs, you do need uh, pieces of the ANC to formally align themselves. Uh, and so it's very clear that nobody feels they can stick their head above the parapet right now. But could we see that them actually start to be more vocal as we get closer to 2019 in that election? Oh, yes, for sure. So even in the uh, and they are still vocal, but it has to be subtle, and they have to play, you, you know, subtle politics. But this isn't a moment for, if if one's really going to get rid of the president, you know, before he's ready to go, it's not a moment for those sort of subtle politics. The people, you know, the South African Communist Party is still formally calling for the president to step down, even as all of their members are still in his cabinet, um, and. If you listen to the speeches, there'll be there'll be the right sort of noises somewhere in the in the speech. Um, but so we, it'll be interesting to watch what happens towards the end of the year when the ANC has its its uh, its congress, mm. where it elects the new leader of the ANC, because that person is is then their nomination for president. So there'll be some. That con- Congress at the end of this year is not insignificant. It's an important moment, and there'll be jockeying and there'll be stuff going on around that. And part of Zuma's move was seen to be 
directed at him having a stronger hand in getting his person in as the nominee. Great to have you both with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. A pleasure. Murray, great to have you on the phone with us from South Africa today. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, what a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Murray Liebrand, professor at the University of Cape Town. Jeff Herbst, who is president and CEO of Museum. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.